Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. This podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets, such as trading strategies, lending, and derivatives. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. This week, I chat with Kirk Su, founder of Hash House based in China. In this episode, we have a special chat with an OG Bitcoin miner who's operated mining facilities in the West and in the East. He shares his thoughts on a variety of topics, including coal as a preferable energy source for miners in China, partnering with private versus state-owned Chinese enterprises, and why mining is not as profitable as some people think. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Crypto Unstacked. It's really great to have you join me on the pod. Hi, it's my pleasure. From chatting with you, I know you have a very cool background, having set up mining operations in both the East and the West. But before we get into all that, could you share more about yourself and how you were introduced to crypto and crypto mining? Uh, yes, uh, my name is Kirk Sue. I got into this whole crypto and mining space in roughly late 2015 early 2016. Uh, it was via a uh, one of my uh, fraternity alumni. Well, actually, I, I got into crypto mining first. Uh, at that point, I, I joined this company, this mining startup company uh, based in California uh, as, as an internship. And then after two to three years uh, of journey with this company, uh, we built a I think at the point was one of the largest uh, mining farm in in North America in the state of Montana, and we also uh, in 2017, sorry, in 2018, uh, we managed to go public in 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 Canada. So that was my first experience with uh, mining, and of course because of that crypto mining, um, I got into this whole uh, crypto uh, space as well. So I did trading here and there as well. Since then, I moved back to China part time, and I got to know. Uh, a lot of these uh, mining manufacturers, different groups, soon after I started my own uh, mining operation in China as well. So that, that's a very uh, brief background. Great. Yeah, why don't we start from the beginning with your Montana mining project? How did that start and what was it like helping to operate the facility? Uh, so before I joined today, uh, the product started um, by a few gentlemen who have been in the space for even longer. You know, those guys started in 2013. Um, I would say they're one of the very first uh, people on Earth that 
discovered uh, Bitcoin and actually uh, decided to be a Bitcoiner and, and, and do Bitcoin full time. They, they had a mining operation in California of decent size. Um, then after, I think it was two years of uh, exploratory, they, they ended up finding this uh, very perfect ideal um, site for, for mining operation in Montana uh, because um, uh, in Montana and Washington, that area is full of uh, uh, hydro energy, uh, hydro dam. And also, we found a very, very large building uh, that's big enough to host uh, all these uh, mining machines. And obviously, we, we got a very good deal as well. So we decided to build the site. Uh, my involvement was this uh, project is I was the only uh, Chinese guy on the team. My job was mostly to handle, to facilitate all of this company's uh, Chinese-related uh, you know, relationships and activities. For example, um, getting in touch with all of these minor manufacturers like Bitmain, Avalon, Silicon. What's minor? You know, MicroBT was, was not there yet uh, at that time. And then so, you know, it's making a purchase on procurement, uh, managing the, these relationships. That, that was mostly uh, my involvement with this project, which kind of gave me that unique experience seeing mining from both, both aspects. Yeah, so the mining supply chain obviously is much more sophisticated today than it was back then, right? That was that was a couple of years ago. Did you face mm -hmm. any particular challenges dealing with any of these third parties, especially for, say, hardware procurement while building out the platform? Yeah, so hardware procurements, the whole supply chain of crypto mining, it's not only sophisticated, it's, it's uh, I would say it's immature. It's too new of an industry so that we don't have these infrastructures set up for the supply chain. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, individual sellers, there's, there's distributors, and, and there's even scammers. You know, people often would just trade on these telegram groups on China, would trade on, on via, uh, you know, WeChat groups, these social media platforms. There's not a very professional uh, or centralized platform where people can go on and trade and just source what, what they need. So one of the biggest obstacles, even till today, it's still, inconsistency of, of information also the legitimacy and trustworthy of information in, in the secondary market another very big challenge for supply chain especially for overseas miners right like non-chinese miners is when a u.s miner wants to buy you know any equipment typically uh it's coming from china right because uh, uh these chinese manufacturers basically dominated the whole uh mining market but but the problem is then that we have to face logistic uh issues and risks there's a much much longer lead time and not to mention it's very costly so for example say a, a chinese miner bought 100 units uh, this guy can, from the day factory ships out these units to the day this, this miner can start actually mining. I'll say in China, we can manage it uh, within three to five days. However, at the same time, if a U.S. miner also bought 100, 100 miners, what's going to happen to him is uh, we need to uh, ship these miners from China to the U.S., get through uh, the custom clearance. By the time it gets to the U.S., and then we then have to arrange a domestic uh, 
trucking. And by the time it gets to the mining farm in the U.S., typically it's already at least 15 days past. I know typically in the U.S. Uh, takes mining farms longer to onboard these machines because they don't have enough labor or they don't have enough uh, experienced labor or labor is really expensive. You know, these factors caused um, them onboarding machines typically takes much longer than Chinese mining farms to, uh, onboarding machines. Uh, which then can fall back on on, on on the miners, right? On not being able to start uh, mining as quick as 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 possible. So if, we, if we're looking at these numbers, right? So a U.S. miner at the same time under same condition, uh, you know, spent same amount of money is going to lose about I'd say three weeks in average time to make mining revenue than if it were a Chinese miner. So that that's a very big obstacle. And another another very very important aspect of it is after sale service right, warranty right for chinese miner if you're if your miner um is debt or uh it has any issues uh, you know if it's within warranty or even if it's with uh, you know it's, it's out of warranty uh we can quickly send it back to the factory or send it to uh, some third-party repair centers i have them fixed and shipped it back and then they can be used again so typically this process will take, will take about what three to five days in China. However, for a, a foreign miner, in the, in the past, most of the time when a miner is dead or when a PSU is dead, most of the time these miners will just basically give up on them uh, because it's too costly to send a few miners back to China and have it fixed and have it shipped it back to the U.S. again. This process is going to take at least a month, right? And, and not to mention, it is, sometimes it may, it may just not work. So, so you see this whole supply chain is just not very favorable to foreign miners. It's getting better though today, but it's still a very, very big difference. Yeah, do you think there will be more suppliers coming out of regions like North America where a lot of the mining hotspots are, like out of China? Yes, I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all of a supply-demand equation, right? Uh, so as, as long as there is enough demand, there's enough uh, customers, if there's big enough market in, let's just use North America as an example, or US, Canada. As long as you know the demand is big enough, it makes all the sense for these manufacturers or the suppliers or you know supply chain people to you know to expand uh, some of their services to that region so they can support the customers better, right? For example, Bitmain from long ago already set up a warehouse in California to support warranty services for for the U.S. customers, and I also know some of these manufacturers don't want to disclose their names, but uh, they're all trying to set up production line in, in the U.S. or at least outside of China. Reason being, one, to provide North American customers a, a shorter lead time and a better service. Another reason being to help uh, U.S. customers, especially to save on the 25% tariffs. So, so you see, you know, the, the supply, the whole supply chain is making efforts towards that direction to try to bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely very interesting. I wanted to go back on something that you mentioned earlier about your Montana project. And you said in 2017, you were acquired by another company yes. and listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Was that something your team had planned or did this company approach you because you were one of the few mining projects at that time? Uh, at that time, we were uh, well, quite quite a big mining farm, and it, it just also happened. You know, the Bitcoin, the whole Bitcoin market uh, was very favorable. So at that time, uh, we always get offers. We always get offers uh, wants to either buy us 
acquire us or to partner with us, we ended up deciding to go with this uh, company uh, called Hyperblock. It's a Canadian uh, company that decided to acquire us. After the company acquired us, they uh, I think they acquired a few more other uh, smaller uh, mining operations than they went public in, in Canada. But unfortunately, uh, this is recent news, I think they declared bankruptcy, or if not, but at least I know they're selling uh, they're selling them on Montana's site. They already uh, shut down the site and they're selling everything. You know, just from this one one mining operation, you see the ups and downs of mining, you know, the risk of mining and how uh, mining is uh, is affected by the Bitcoin market. For sure. And Kirk, you have experience in the West and in the East, right? You moved from the U.S. back to China and by that time you had already been mining for three years. So what did you learn from the time you were mining in the West and what initiatives did you set up when you moved back to China? After seeing mining in, in China and in the US and Canada and Europe and in the Middle East, you know, Central Asia, I realized to the core that mining is a game of competing cost. Whoever has the lowest cost. Uh, what about cost is everything considered, right? Your power cost obviously is the biggest one. Your capital infrastructure and your management cost combined. Whoever has a lower cost can survive uh, and will survive pretty well in this game, regardless of where you are. It's, it's, a, it's a very fair game, you know, because every day there's only so many Bitcoin to be mined and every miner in the world basically splitting very fairly these Bitcoins. That's one biggest uh, rule I, I, I learned uh, from that experience. When I moved back to China, number one is I was a very big Bitcoin Cash fan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the whole uh, Bitcoin scaling debate, uh, but I'm on that side of the camp. I started a Bitcoin mining themed cafe, it's like a cafe slash WeWork space. And I hosted 60 events uh, in that one year. Most of them are, are free, uh, basically just to educate these Chinese uh, people who are interested in crypto or blockchain in general, uh, you know, just to educate them what, what Bitcoin actually really is. And also, obviously, what Bitcoin mining is, how to get involved. In. Right, that was my first initiative. And at the same time, uh, me and, and a couple of Chinese partners who are very experienced in mining, we started a uh, few mining projects here and there. First ones were in Sichuan province, just like everybody else, uh, because they, they just have you know such great hydropower. Our last project was in, it's a coal-powered project close to uh, Inner Mongolia. And then I built a platform. It's like a Craigslist information sharing platform specifically for the mining industry. So I made an app called Bullfrog. So first of all, it's, it's matchmaking, right? So I, I wanted to bring Chinese miners, experienced miners out of China, right? To explore opportunities outside of China, specifically North America, because I know it's a trend. I know mining is not going to be centralized in China forever. And I know uh, North America has better energy resources. But the truth is the gap here is most of these Chinese miners, one, they, they just don't have the source of these information. Uh, they don't even know what's out there. They don't know what their competitors are, are going through, what, you know, what the, their competitors could be in the future. You know, they just don't know these opportunities exist out there. 
And two, even if they didn't know, um, they don't have someone to basically hold their hands, you know, to make that first step. Within China, our app is also very um, was very active. You know, we we basically have mining farm owners listing their mining farms. You know, who are looking for hosting, who are looking for hosting customers. We also have people miners who have miners looking look, looking for a home for their miners. We have people looking for um, spare parts, used parts. So who wants to build mining farms looking for power? We also work with mining pools, uh, help them get customers. It really is is just a one stop shop for for mining, regardless if you're a beginner. Or, or an experienced miner, I really you should you should be able to get everything you need in there. Now I want to dive deeper into your mining farm, and this was a project that you started in 2019. Which province is this in in China? In Shanxi province, with two A's, very very close to Inner Mongolia, which is also a very uh, centralized place province for coal powered mining. Yeah, and and why coal specifically? I hear a lot about. Hydro, of course, and that's the reason why a lot of people set up mining farms in places like Sichuan, especially during this wet season. Not many people talk about coal and why that is also a useful energy source for miners. Could you talk a bit about that? Yes. Um, so hydro, you know, obviously you've heard heard enough about hydro. You know, hydro until today is still a mainstream uh, power source for mining, specifically in China. Um, you know, you know, we also hear about uh, renewable energy here and there. Well, hydro is 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 one of the renewable. You know, we we hear about solar and wind. Uh, we hear about nuclear, but those kind of energies are are just unstable. Uh, I don't think they play a very important role. You know, they don't have a very big market share today uh, in the mining space. So really, the second largest energy source for mining is coal. The biggest drawback of hydro power is it's very unstable and it's very extreme. You know, when when it comes to dry season, uh, which typically is from uh, November to coming May, basically half half year of the time, you just don't get enough rain. Uh, you know, these power plants can't generate enough power. Um, so most of the times, they they're not gonna prioritize mining farms. Usage obviously they're going to prioritize the local citizen um, and also other industries, other uh, plants, other factories. So what happens is um, a lot of the times miners are basically forced to move their machine when it comes to dry season in November to somewhere that has all year round power. Um, hence come you know coal powered mining farms so, you know the biggest advantage of coal power is it's very steady you know uh, we don't rely on basically we don't rely on the mother nature power is generated by burning coal and you can always buy coal also we don't have to worry about some incidents that there could be earthquakes or there could be a flood that sometimes just will affect mining operation in these very centralized hydropower areas like Sichuan and Yunnan province. And not to mention, sometimes during a flood, an entire mining farm or power dam could be just flood out to nothing. And these kind of natural disaster risks at a coal power plant basically is this is just not a threat at all. Typically, experienced miners, they're so fed up dealing with constant you know, inconsistency of power in Sichuan and Yunnan from hydro plants. And they're so fed up moving their miners twice a year uh, because yes hydropower is cheap but if you take into consideration of having to take your miners out off the shelf and move them by trucks and have to having to onboard them again on a different farms twice a year you basically 
looking at losing about a month in mining time, meaning you're losing a month in rep, a mining revenue. If you average that out into your um, mining costs, it's about the same mining on coal via versus uh, mining on hydro. So smart people will just choose coal power to start with. So they have to worry about all these uh, uncertainties and hassle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it comes to using coal power, you're using excessive power, right? It's yes and no, right? So ideally, and in reality, is most of the times um, we go talk to a coal power plant, they're not gonna let us use their entire capacity, you know, um, because obviously any any um, power plant, coal power plants, should have their core business. Uh, to support but for coal power generators right those, those power generators once they're they're turned on they they have to produce a certain amount of power regardless if you can use them but most of the times these power plants aren't using 100 percent of them maybe they're they're using like for example there is 80 percent of an average you know which means those 20 percent or 15 percent of the power uh was been you know, generated, but, but, but they're not being optimized. So we can come in and we can use that, you know, 10 to 15% of uh, excessive power and use it for mining, right? Power plants know that we are a very steady long-term customer, right? It's not like we use power today and not tomorrow. It's not like we use power for certain hours in a day and not for the rest of the time, which it is for most of other factories, like for like regular uh, normal industries, they would use power during some peak times and not not 24-7, right? But for mining is 24-7, which is really good for, for these uh, power plants. They know we're going to be used this amount of power for this long so that they can uh, take that into their calculation um, so that they can basically optimize their efficiency. Right. Yeah, and speaking of power contracts, as I understand, some miners partner with private companies, others with state-owned enterprises in China, perhaps some with both. Can you talk about the advantages and disadvantages of working with private versus public power plants? Yes, I've worked with both private entity and the state-owned company in China for power source. Um, let's talk about private entity first, right? You know, because they're private, right? So basically the owner of this power plant makes the call. You know, if we can have the handshake, if he's okay, we can basically do uh, whatever we, we both agree to, right? So typically this uh, initial like negotiation phase is much shorter. Uh, and most of the time these uh, private owned power plant would give us a more favorable rate. Uh, they're easier to to deal with, right? In, in that sense. However, the disadvantage of private-owned company is because they're private-owned. So a lot of times, the way they do things, and also just the standards, right, and regulation isn't there, or isn't in place, or isn't as good or as safe as we needed. And also, they're very cost sensitive, or I guess maybe they're very money sensitive. A lot of times, uh, you know, their main their main focus is to maximize their profitability, right? Which, when it comes to situations when we have to balance between profit and other things, uh, you know, typically uh, these guys would go for profit, which which then makes our life 
a little harder. On the other hand, if we look at a state-owned company, obviously it's uh, it's much harder to set up any to start any relationships and actually to build a partnership with a state-owned company because there's a lot of uh, requirements, there's a lot of regulations, there's a lot of uh, you know networking you need to make. Uh, but once you do, uh, these state-owned companies are typically easy to deal with. These state-owned companies in China typically has a much higher standard. You know, they have better equipment, they have better regulations, they have better rules within the company, they have better uh, safety precautions, um, they have better uh, resources, and, and they have better protection overall, which when we, us as miners, you know, we're basically building our mining farm within sight of this power plant, right? So if anything happens to us, happens to them, so they, they you know, they have all the reasons all the means to protect us, and they will. However, uh, you know, the, the disadvantage of, uh, uh, of a state-owned company or a state-owned partner is because of everything, you know, all the advantages I mentioned about, you know, uh, cost of doing business with them is relatively higher versus uh, doing business with the private owner. So, yes, you get a lot of benefits, but, but you're, you're also paying a higher price, right? So nothing's free. So before we move on to the next topic, let's take a quick break and hear a few words about Amber Group. This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R g-r-o-u-p dot i-o. Kirk, you're now back in China, but you haven't left the West totally behind. I understand you also do some work for companies abroad looking to get exposure into China. You're involved with a company called Bitcoin.com. Can you tell us how you got involved there and what you're doing for them in China? At, at that time, Bitcoin.com was selling hash rate contracts. On the mining site was the sole uh, hash rate provider. Uh, we sold a lot of hash rate via Bitcoin.com, right? So that's how I got to know Bitcoin.com in the first place. And then let's fast forward a couple of years down. Um, because I got to know Bitcoin.com, I got to know Roger. It also just so happened I am a very big Bitcoin Cash fan. So so everything just, just makes sense. Um, so about two... Years ago, I uh, joined Bitcoin.com and I was basically in charge of all of Bitcoin.com's China-related activities, specifically uh, with a mining focus. I was helping especially uh, Bitcoin.com pool to develop their business and, and, and you know, customer base in China and try to, try to get uh, Chinese miners to, to use the pool service. And in addition to that, uh, I actually have a, uh, have a startup company. Uh, I have a team in China. And we also took over all of Bitcoin.com's social media uh, platforms in, Ch- in China. And we were managing uh, all of Bitcoin.com's uh, uh, Chinese social media uh, platform, uh, social media accounts, uh, like WeChat, uh, Weibo accounts. And, you know, we had uh, accounts on 8ptc.com. Um, yeah, so that, that was my uh, affiliation with Bitcoin.com. Nice. And I know you're a big supporter of community building. You did that with Hash House when you first moved back to China. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some more recent initiatives on the community building side for miners. Yeah, I'm always very, uh, very passionate and, and I'm just a big fan of uh, community building 
you know, for, for, for mining folks, regardless when I was in the States or, or him here. Oh, a side note, you know, now that, now that you've mentioned, um, when I was back in the States, I, I was, uh, I was doing my master's in Indiana university. I actually started the first, uh, uh blockchain slash cartel, uh, club. And I think in the, in the entire Midwest at the point we had close to 300 members join us and we had a lot of school uh, professors. Uh, supporting us as well. So it's quite a fun experience. Uh, I definitely educated a lot of, uh, uh, you know, students and, and, and uh, professors uh, about crypto. So fast forward, uh, you know, and then I came back to China. I did hash house as a, a mining themed coffee shop and host a lot of events. Uh, and recently I, I opened a, a whiskey bar, <laughs> a whiskey, you know, CR bar in Chengdu, you know, the city of mining, uh, to continue, I guess, uh, building the community, right? Because there's a lot of events, but most of these mining events happen in China or hosted in Chengdu. Um, and I just thought it's the best place to do these things, right? It's the most effective way. So uh, that whiskey bar is located in Chengdu, very close to those hot places uh, where these uh, uh, mining events uh, likes to happen. I know a lot of people in the space, so I'll just invite them over. I think Bitmain is hosting an event at my bar tomorrow, um, you know, inviting uh, all of these uh, private clients to there, just just have fun, have a chat. I want to make that bar a go-to place for, for mining folks in China or, you know, um, even for friends to come in, come in from overseas so that, you know, just keep building that momentum, right, in the mining space, right? Because communicate communication and networking is a very crucial and central part of mining. You know, something that I'm, I'm always interested in is having experts talk about mining myths. So what's a myth you'd like to bust for us on this show about Bitcoin mining? What are some misconceptions that people typically go to you with and you go, mm, that's, that's really not how it works within this industry? Yeah, I can already think of a lot because there is a lot of myth. <laughs> Some mis, uh, you know, perceptions that that uh, people would uh, some uh, stereotypes. I think number one is uh, mining is very profitable. That's a myth. Mining is not very profitable, or mining is not as profitable as just uh, crypto trading. You know, a lot of people would think, oh, miners are uh, very rich. You know, miners miners have a lot a lot of assets. Uh, miners are getting Bitcoin at a discount. It's not you know hundred percent true. Uh, we are getting miners are getting Bitcoin at at its source at its origin, but at the same time we're paying a very great price as well. You know, we're, we 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 have uh, we need to build an infrastructure, right? Uh, we we need to buy these mi mining machines. Uh, which is price goes up as market. Uh, we also need to uh, maintain day-to-day -day operation of these mining farms. So all of these add up pretty quick. I would say it's not as profitable as, as a lot of people think. If you had save the same amount of um, fund and you want to invest in crypto, there's two ways you can go, right? Number one is you can just simply buy uh, Bitcoin with, with that money. Or you can invest in all of that in mining, right? If you compare your your outcome one year later, you might find out that mining is just about the same as as if you were trading crypto. But then you have to put in all of these efforts to being a miner. To being a miner is, is a lot of work, right? It's almost part-time, if not a full-time job. 
right. So I think that's that's uh, that's, a, that's a big myth. Now I want to move on to the part of our conversation where our listeners can get to know you, Kirk Sue, a bit more. What important truth about the crypto space or mining more specifically do you believe in that few might agree with you on? In the in the coming years, uh, mining is going to be slowly expanding to out of China. Less mining is going to happen in China, and more and more mining is going to happen in 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 other countries, specifically North America. I I see I see this trend coming. So it's unstoppable. Even even though until today, uh, mining is still um, very economical. You know, it's, it's still uh, it's still best fit in China. But I see. Uh, this trend, uh, I see supply chains moving towards a uh, North American market. I see North America uh, market has very, very uh, strong capital interest, and also see uh, North America ha- overall has much better power re- power resources than China. Something this is something that I guess not everyone agrees to. Some people will still say, "Oh, you know, mining is going to remain in China regardless." You know, because we have such and such advantages, but um, I think over over time it's going to happen. And always, I like to end our time together with a fun round of rapid fire mining edition. So, are you, are you ready for some questions? Yeah, rapid fire. Let's go. Uh, Bitcoin bullish or bearish? Bullish. Growth of the hash rate markets bullish or bearish? Bullish. And the growth of mining pools outside of China bullish or bearish? Uh, bearish. I have a lot of safer mining pool, right? Because I I spent two years trying to help a, a foreign mining pool to, to tackle a, a Chinese mining uh, market, but uh, you know it's a rather a difficult journey. So uh, you know I can I can speak from my experience that uh, any any foreign pool when they first started is going to be very very challenging. Uh, I'm not saying it's, it's possible. It's going to be very challenging, very constant to compete with these already existing uh, mature. Chinese mining pool because the, the the level of service that they provide and, and the level of com- com- competitiveness is is already off the chart. <laughs> so I mean, there might be there might be many foreign mining pools pops up, but I, I doubt they can take over much uh, market share or they can survive for long. What excites you about crypto um, or crypto mining? Going forward over the next few years, what do you anticipate will happen and what would you like to see grow? Uh, there's many aspects of it, right? I would say uh, the biggest one definitely is uh, over the next few years, hopefully and almost certainly the bull market will come, right? And it should come, right? Because it, it has been a bear market for, what, over two years, right? We've been waiting uh, very patiently and I can still or we can still wait for a little longer. But we know the bull market will come, you know, sooner, sooner or later. And when it comes, it's only going to be more interesting. It's only going to be a much bigger of an explosion than 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 the last bull run, right? So that's definitely the most exciting things. I, you know, I, I can't wait to see uh, that day, right, or that year, uh, because we've been preparing uh, for that for long, right? Some other aspects uh, is, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to is mining becoming, uh, you know, uh, uh, more professional than, than, than before. Uh, it's becoming more institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's becoming less, less centralized in China. It's becoming more, more international, um, you know, uh, which to me uh, means to me a full-timer, right? 
uh, full-time miner, right? I devoted my entire, basically my entire, all my energy, my entire life, right, uh, into this this space, which to me is very good sign, um, a very good promise that mining as as an industry uh, will continue, and it's gonna it's it's a long-term business, right? So so I think that's very important for for people like like myself. Well said, and I agree with you there. Kirk, mm-hmm. how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? You guys can visit our website. It's uh, hashhouse.cash. And the website, it has our, all, all of our uh, content information and social media contacts. So feel free to contact me if, you, if you're interested in mining or just wanted to chat. And go to your whiskey bar. No problem. Yeah, that's that for sure. No problem. Great. Well, appreciate you coming on to the Crypto Unstacked podcast and sharing your East meets West experience in crypto and crypto mining. Thanks for the great work you're doing growing the mining community in China. And I, I hope to visit Chengdu very soon. And of course, to catch up with you on all the progress that you're making. Yeah, no problem. Sounds very good. It was my pleasure. Yeah, Thanks for uh, putting all these questions together. And thanks for helping me and helping the mining community speak out to the rest of the world. As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify and anchor.fm slash crypto unstacked. Do engage with us through social media. I'll provide details in the show notes and connect with me on Twitter at Les Lambo. That's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and see you at our next episode.